Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 18th, 2017, and this is episode 1933 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you today. Standing by to uh, come online with us and have a great interview today is Austin Martin, not the car, he's a dude. Lives up in the northeastern United States, runs a pastured uh, pork operation. But we're not really going to talk about that today. We're going to talk a little bit about farming for a living uh, or farming as an income source. But what we're really going to talk about is how you can use digital media and a digital business to uh, to provide yourself the ability to live your homesteading dreams. With a guy that's actually doing it, not a guy that's going to do it someday, not a guy that's working on it. I actually like having people on that are at the beginning or the early parts of their journey once in a while, but I also like to have people on that actually did it. Austin's done it. It took him about six years, uh, which is a, a noble pursuit. And he transitioned from a job in construction to a full-time digital entrepreneur who's doing all kinds of cool things. He's got a podcast. He's got his homestead. He's got his farm. He builds websites for people. He does marketing for people. Really great guy. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done on the concept of business. And I think you'll really enjoy it. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, let's take care of our two sponsors of the day. Hey, business owners, would you like the ability to reach more than 100,000 TSP community members for as little as $5 a year? If so, consider advertising your business in the TSP Business Directory. A listing in our directory shows your support of the community and a commitment to value-for-value value exchange with other members. To find something or to be found, just check out the directory at tspbiz.com. That's tspbiz.com to learn more. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. And our TSP Business Directory supporter of the day is TheDomesticProduct.com. Uh, you can check them out for luxurious freestanding pedestal and clawfoot acrylic bathtubs that are made right here in the good old U.S. of A. Again, the domesticproduct.com. There'll be a link to learn more about them in today's show notes. And that takes us to the year that was the episode. The year is 1933, and I have a couple for you today. I have a Roosevelt Utopia, and I have the Nazis are on fire. And it was tough to pick between these two. They're both quite uh, useful for our understanding of the way things are going and the way things are today. I'm going to read a Roosevelt Utopia. And I know often I say, you should go read the other one. Today I really, really mean it. I, I was actually going to read both of these. I usually don't do that. But the interview went really long, so we're going to go with one. Before I do that, though, let's take a look at Notable Births. Who was born in 1933? Louis Farrakhan Living, controversial leader of the Nation of Islam. I could say nasty things, but I won't. That's my words, not Alex Strug, who puts these together for us. Gene Krantz, living NASA flight director who never said failure is not an option, but embraced it after the movie Apollo 13 came out. 
Ann Richards, who was the Ann Richards, who was the governor of Texas, a major force in the Democratic Party, and I'll point out the last Democratic governor of the state of Texas. Diane Feinstein, living U.S. Senator, U.S. Senator from California and former mayor of San Francisco, and one of the worst politicians that exists on our planet, my opinion again. And entertainment, Willie Nelson, who's still living somehow, entertainer best known for On the Road Again. To all the girls I've loved before and for smoking weed. And I would also say, uh, best known in my opinion anyway, for Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. And I almost wanted to play that song today, but, uh, I got something special for the year that you'll hear about at the end. Gene Wilder is born this year. Best known for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. And uh, I think Young Frankenstein is a very underrated movie, by the way. Carol Spinney, living, he plays Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. Bet you didn't know it was one guy that played both of them. Joan Rivers, stand-up comedian, talk show host, and reality TV star. She did it all. And Michael Caine, who is still living. He, uh, Alex says, I loved him in Miss Congeniality. He favored communism till he served in the Korean War and saw how the communists treated their citizens. And uh, some other news. Prohibition is repealed in 1933. Thank God. Inauguration Day has changed to January 20th. King Kong is released, and Fay Ray is the bit, is the, was the first in a long line of ladies to scream their way to fame. FM radio is patented. Norway will shut down FM radio in 2017 in favor of digital audio. It is easier to track you that way. United Airlines flight blows up. A bomb goes off in the toilet, causing a tail section to separate. The bomber was never identified. In case you think blowing up airplanes was new, first time, 1933. And uh, the life expectancy of a Ukrainian is now 7.3 years. The Holodorma is a man-made famine caused, created by Stalin that kills off millions of Ukrainians. There are no exact numbers. Say 10 million welcome to socialism. Yeah, you can see a lot of death from socialism all the way up to modern day as we keep reading this. But yet, some people still think it's a good idea. On that note, a Roosevelt utopia. People are struggling to survive through this Great Depression. Coal miners of West Virginia have been pooling their resources and working farms to feed their families. This is a great idea, but private people cannot be successful without government support. I think it's a rule or something. When First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt hears of this community effort, she turns it into her pet project to build a government utopia in West Virginia. Thus, Arthurdale is first conceived. Several hundred homes are built and families are interviewed to join the community. Singles and immigrants need not apply. And while we're at it, no blacks or Jews either. Nice guys, huh? Finally, no private sector employment is allowed except as it relates to producing products for government consumption. It's a perfect little world except that the Republicans are calling it a commie stronghold. Those Republicans spoil everything. Government funding dries up despite the First Lady's pleas to Congress. The community should have been self-sustaining without continuing government help, but the residents seem unable to grow enough food. Business attempts, businesses attempt to establish themselves in Arthurdale, but they don't stay long. Within a few years, it is clear that these New Deal communities have failed. My take by Alex Shrug, Eleanor Roosevelt was not the only one who believed the government was required to make an ideal society work. It's science. Similar experiments were attempted all around the world, but I have only seen it work in Israel. The key is to keep the number of adult participants low from 200 to 400 and the participants nationwide under 3%. Any more than that, you get too many loafers scamming the system. Socialism remains popular because people think that it should work if everyone participates. But the socialist model barely works for monstrosities. Experience has proven that it does not scale up. There is no economy of size because there is no reason to produce more than you must. 
just to get by. Despite what anybody says, socialism is one is enough philosophy rather than more sensible. Two is one and one is none, end quote. I'll put it to you this way. Imagine the resources of the federal government being turned on a town. We're going to interview people. We're going to find the right people. We're going to support this, get it off the ground, and it'll become self-sustaining, and it doesn't work with a socialistic mindset. If that's not going to work, what the hell is? What the hell is? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It absolutely does not work. Socialism always leads to the same place in the end. Now, you can point to the countries, you say, well, look, it's working here, it's working there. And most of the most successful countries that, that people point to as socialist utopias today are currently rolling back many of their regulations and many of the things that make them socialist because they're reaching the end of what they can do. And those countries, to be fair to Donald Trump, have largely been defended by us, and therefore they have not needed to invest in their own defense budgets We, it, the, the, the medicine, it's all produced by U.S. companies who rape U.S. citizens and then they buy it cheap and they don't have to make any investments in the, the actual development of these medications. And I could keep going, but I won't. Socialism doesn't work. Oh, yes, it does, Jack. Look at Canada's healthcare system. And Canadians every year hop the border to get medical treatment in the United States before they freaking die. Socialism doesn't work. It always ends in the same place. And unfortunately, from 1933 forward, we're going to get a good look at how bad it doesn't work. But I don't want to talk about that anymore because I'm in a good freaking mood today, if you can't tell, because we're going to talk about business today. And it's one of my true passions is getting people to develop and start their own businesses. And with that, I want to welcome our special guest today who has done just that. Again, his name is Austin Martin. Has nothing to do with the car, though it is a very cool car. With that, hey, Austin, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, thanks for having me, man. I, I love the show. I've been a longtime listener and uh, real excited to be able to be a part of it. Hey, man, we've got you on today to talk about your, your little farmstead, homestead, we've, uh, your YouTube stuff, all your cool things. Let's let's roll it back from there, though, not including what you're doing now. How did you get here? Like, what, what was your background? When you, let's go back to, like, Austin sitting in study hall picking his nose in 11th grade or whatever, and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Like, how, how do you get from that point to where you're doing what you're doing now? It, it's funny you start with study hall, Jack. <laughs> I have always been the kind of guy who uh, took advantage of whatever free time I could and used it for my own means. So when we were given a study hall – Uh, I had a teacher who was really good in shop class. I, I was a big surfer, and I wanted to uh, learn how to make a surfboard. So I used my study halls to learn how to do things like that. Uh, right out of high school, big into surfing and big into playing music, playing the guitar. And that was when – if you knew me right out of high school, you would never recognize me today from that <laughs> guy because I was a surfer dude. I was a, uh, a surfer dude who played guitar, was in a band. I never had any animals. I never shot a gun in my life. Uh, grew up in town. Nice, you know, we had a nice yard, but we were right on a main road. And uh, nothing like a homesteader, nothing at all like what I am today. Uh, the person I would blame is my wife. She grew up on a farm, and when we met, You know, I, I was still that surfer dude. We actually met. She plays piano. So we met through music. We were working on a project together and uh, kind of this will come back in later into how I got here. But uh, we were working on a project recording music because I, I had learned how to 
make music and write music. And then I learned how to record music because I was too cheap to pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> so we uh, we met and got married and still kind of living that same life in town, nothing at all homestead-like, uh, until our son was born. And that I'm sure a lot of your, you know, a lot of the people in this world, I, I know a lot of the guys you interview probably have the same thing. Uh, having a kid changes everything. And it starts to make you think about things differently, especially the food that you're putting on the table. And uh, we started thinking to ourselves, you know, about what we were eating, about what we were feeding our family. And at first, that led me to the idea of hunting. And I had never, like I said, I'd never shot a gun. I was just this like surfer dude from Connecticut. Um, surfer but, dude from Connecticut. <laughs> no oxymoron, right? Yeah. That's what Rhode Island's for. <laughs> I got you. I got you. So I, uh, I, <laughs> that's pretty good. I'll, I'll give you that one. I took a second. We, uh, well, you know, we grew up snowboarding and then Rhode Island right there. We used to go to Rhode Island a lot. So I learned to surf there and that just hooked me. I was never into school sports. I was never into, you know, all that whole scene. Uh, surfing was great. We'd go on trips and, uh, it was just different. So it was a way to get away. But anyway, so we have our son and we're thinking about this food and we're still, we're up in a third story apartment, Jack. We're a big flight of stairs. And I had this little boy who's just a ball energy and we have this small yard, but we're sharing it with people and we're feed, you know, we're, we were, me and Kendra were Taco Bell eaters and, you know, just like buying food on cheap food at the grocery store, not thinking twice about it. Uh, but we started to say to ourselves, how, you know, how could we feed him better? We were flat broke at the time. I did not make much money. And uh, we both spent a lot of time, uh, you know, together as much as we could. Um, and we we're trying to figure out what could we do differently. And so at the time, homesteading wasn't an option. Farming wasn't an option because of our apartment. But I thought, you know what? I could try hunting. And so her dad has – he's a gun collector. And like I said, I'd never shot a gun in my life. Uh, I was like, hey, why don't why don't I learn to shoot? Let's let's go down to your parents. We'll visit. I'll I'll do a little shooting, and I did. I learned to shoot trap, and I thought, boy, this is a lot of fun. I like shooting trap. I like shooting a shotgun. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll become a bird hunter. And fortunately, I had a a longtime hunter who I knew who I was chatting with one day, and I told him my idea. I said, listen, I want to get some organic meat on the table for my family, uh, so I'm going to go out and hunt turkeys. And he said, you know what? It's a good idea, the hunting thing, but forget turkeys. He says, turkey, you know, wild turkey is a total different meat. If you're not used to it, you might not like it. They're really hard to kill, and all the time you spend in it, and you're going to wind up with just one little turkey. He said, get yourself a bow and arrow and go out and do some deer hunting. You'll learn way more with the bow and arrow than you ever will, you know, out with a shotgun. And he said, when you finally get one, you'll feed your family for a few months. So fast forward, it took me a year or so to finally get my first deer with the bow. My whole first season was tag soup. Uh, but after that, second season, sure enough, uh, early October, I got my first deer with the bow. Self-taught Jack, self-taught how to use a bow, uh, self-taught how to shoot uh, just through some podcasts and YouTube channels. And uh, so I was outside butchering my first deer. I had a field and stream article in one hand <laughs> and a fillet knife in the other. And I'm like, what the heck? How do I do this? <laughs> but I got through it. It took me all day. And that was one of the biggest lessons of my life is that 
you know, I can do this. I can do whatever. If I can from zero go out and shoot a deer with an arrow and, you know, without with a field and stream article in one hand, butcher the thing, bring it inside, feed my pa- my family. And at the end, nobody got sick. Totally <laughs> eye open. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the spark that led us to this point. Now, uh, we realized we had to get out of town. My wife was from a farm. She grew up on a farm and she wanted to raise her kids on a farm. So we looked and looked and looked for land where we live. Land is very, very expensive. Uh, so we were looking at, you know, five acres. We found a gem of a property in Connecticut that's 10 acres. And uh, we said, you know what? We're not going to find something in our price range more than 10 acres. And so we jumped the minute when we went and looked at the property, we didn't even look at the house. The first thing I did, Jack, was just walk the property. I didn't care about the house. I can. My, my father's a master carpenter. It's like we can fix whatever's in that house. It'll work for us. What's Brother, I know the about? feeling. I know the feeling. Right. Yeah. You're never and changing the dirt. Exactly. I want to see the property. And it was this beautiful property. There's a nice about an acre, probably about two to three acres of it is a flat uh, maybe not exactly. It's gentle slope, I should say. Uh, there's a lot of area to park machines and to stockpile stuff. There was a couple outbuildings. And then the nicest part uh, was behind behind that open area where the kids could play. And there was some yard and room for maybe some animals. There was a beautiful ridge in the back. Good woods. Lots of deer sign. Uh, so I, I moved here to this homestead we're at now just for the hunting. My wife was the one who was interested in the farming. For me, it was like, oh, you know what? She can have her chickens, and I can go shoot deer. Turned out she got – like just like with everything else, she got me hooked on the farming thing too. And now here – we've been at this property going on our sixth year. We now have a farm business from the property, so I sell pastured pork uh, to people in the local area. And uh, we used to do uh, on-farm classes once in a while for chicken butchering. Uh, we raise chickens, we've done goats, we've done sheep, uh, we have ducks, and we have guineas. Um, that's that's probably all the animals we've done so far. And then the back of the property is about seven acres, a couple food plots, uh, some deer blinds built into the property, and a couple tree stands. So it's a perfect little escape homestead. And we live where we found this, it's exactly what you described, Jack, as being on the fringe. It's, We're it's, out of town. It sounds awful. You should move out immediately and let me take over for you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great spot. It was it was it took us a year to find it. It really we looked for a long time and we almost settled for a place that would have been a lot worse. It was only a little three acres on a cul de sac. And I'm so glad looking back we didn't settle. We took our time. I know people, it takes a long time to find the right homestead, but when you find it, we knew right away when we found this place. We, we got out of the car. We took a walk around the property. We said, all right, let's get a bid on this thing. Right? I didn't even see the house. It was like, let's get a bid on this. <laughs> Man, I understand that. I mean, not really for the same reasons back then, but when we had to move to Pennsylvania for a few years to, to for the job I took with Fluke Networks, I remember I was in Pittsburgh International Airport. I'm walking through the airport, and my phone rings. And I pick up the phone, and it's Dorothy, and she's, I mean, she's literally screaming, I found her house! I found her house! I'm like, well, what does it look like? She's like, it's really nice on the outside. I don't know what it looks like in the inside, yeah. but I found her house, right? And it was just a one-acre place, but it was just gorgeous. And you could see the, the, the Lehigh Valley to the front of you and, and the oh, Blue yeah. Mountain Valley to the back, and it was just great. And so I understand that, and you can never change the outside. So that's really awesome. The other thing I like about your story there is, 
I keep saying it, and I swear to God people don't believe me. There are as many couples out there when it comes to prepping, permaculture, farming, where the, the, the wife was the leader into it and the husband was the reluctant spouse. Nobody yeah. believes that, but 100%. you're an example of it. You know why, Jack? One of the big things, and I know we're going to get into this today, I worked in construction. And growing up, I, I worked with my dad for until I went self-employed. I worked for my father's company. And uh, I held a shovel for the first 10 of those years and just grunt work in the ground. And when my wife said when we were at our apartment, she started gardening. That was the first step. And she was like, I want to start a garden. And I was like, I do not want to garden. <laughs> I have a shovel in my hand. I'm in the sun all day. The last thing I want to do is come home from that and grab a shovel and get back in the sun. And she was like, that's fine. Just, you know, help me start it. And then she took it off. So I one day I helped her with some raking, kind of chopped up the sod. I said, there, wash my hands of it. You have fun. And uh, I could never imagine looking back. I would never have imagined I'd be where I am today knowing the person I was then. <laughs> you know, I understand that because I remember I had this friend um, back in the day. And uh, he was dating this girl, and she was kind of a spoiled rich girl. And I remember she said something to me like, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And I said, yeah, I was born with a tin cup in my ass and a shovel in my hand, right? And so, I mean, I grew up as a coal miner's son. And, yeah. and like, my first job that I was able to actually make good money in telecom with was outside plant construction. So it was – I wasn't always the guy in the ditch, but it was it was digging ditches. Yeah. And, and yep. yet, because I did come from a background of, like, homesteading – I just felt that it was different, and I, I would imagine that when you actually started to kind of immerse yourself in it, you felt that that way as well. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And I kind of on that note, what was life like when you first started growing your farm business while you're still working construction? Because it's long hours, it's tiring, it's there's a reason it, it pays better than other things in some some ways when you look at it from a standpoint of uh, you know qualifications to get the job or whatever. Because it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Right. Right. So I, I, from a young age, I started working with my dad. I was 14, 13 or 14. He started bringing me during summers to do a day or two. And every year I got older, it was an additional day uh, to the point where I was working full time for him. And when my son was born, I was the, I was the foreman. I was the guy who'd been there the longest. It was a small company. At our biggest, we had about six guys, uh, including myself and my father. And uh, we specialized in excavation, septic systems, and uh, foundations. Uh, my dad's got a great reputation. He's been in business. He, he's been self-employed his entire life, pretty much. First as a master carpenter and then as an excavator. And uh, I, over those years, I learned how to operate everything. I learned how to do everything to the point where when my son was born, I was the foreman and all the other guys. Uh, he would send me and a couple other guys off and I'd run the job. And uh, it was very fulfilling work. You know, it felt good to know what you were doing. I never went to college. I never wanted to go to college. Um, I knew I had this good skill, this great trade uh, that I could fall back on. Uh, the, the difference, though, over the last few years, you know, the recession hit hard. It, it hit my parents real bad. They got hit real bad by it. And the market, the market still hasn't come anywhere near it was in the housing, you know, department here in Connecticut. And so they, you know, they have had hard times ever since that. And I saw how hard he was working, uh, both physically and just mentally on this business. And, you know, not only that issue, but then for me, 
it was there was the long commute, so we were working a lot of our work in the southern part of the state. I live more in the northern part of the state. So, Jack, I was commuting like three hours a day towards the end of working with my dad because uh, we had to drive where the money was. And the money was far away from where we were living. Um, so it was an hour, I'd have to drive an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two to get in in the morning and then same back. So much time spent in a commute. Um, not every day was hard physical labor for me because, like I said, I became where I was the foreman and I was running machines. Um, but just, you know, with construction, you are getting paid for your time. Unless it's your business, uh, you're getting paid for your time. And so to make a living, to feed my, my new fledgling family, I had to work, you know, full, full five days a week with the commuting time in and back. And even then we were scraping by because you only get paid so much in construction. Um, and it was just, uh, here I was looking at, now the, the plus side for me, the reason I was still doing it was someday this will be mine, right? My dad always had the, sure. the, the thing where, hey, son, this is a business I'll teach you. It's just me and my sister, and my sister wasn't involved in it. So he was like, learn how to do this, and over time you can take over the business. So I was working hard, but I had a future. I, this is the business I'm going to take over. But I started to look at his life and, and how the recession affected it so bad we had these we had one project we worked on where the guy running the project was just a just a scum of the earth person <laughs> ripped off all his you know contractors and these were good guys doing good work they didn't care about quality they just wanted you to get done stuff done quick and that's not how my dad works he's a quality guy so they were mad at him cuz he was going slower than they wanted and they were mad at him cuz he charges a premium cuz he's the best guy around and uh they were trying to rip him off left and right and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This is what my future is. If I stay here in this in this business, it means I, I'm out five days a week away from my family. I got these long commutes. I got these ungrateful people that I'm, I'm subbing for that just want you to do crap work. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, all I want to do is be back at my homestead, working with my pigs and working with my goats, and most of all, working with my family. I really wanted to spend more time with my wife and kids than than what the you know society tells us. You send your kids to school and you go to your forty hour plus overtime job and you get to see each other Saturday and Sunday when you're going to games and you're you know going to the football field and and uh, I, we didn't want that. We started a family because we wanted to enjoy time with our children and time together. That's why we got married and we started the homestead because we wanted to spend time together on our home. And so I just said, you know what? This isn't for me. And the first step of change was I took one day a week off. I said to dad, dad was my dad was a great boss and he was very flexible. My whole life he's been like that. He said, I said, dad, I want to grow my homestead. I at the time had the plan that I was going to turn the homestead into a side business, a farm business. I said, let me have Fridays off. I'm going to work Fridays on my farm so that I can get some customers and sell some product. And that way I can spend all day Friday with my wife and kids on the farm, enjoying you know time together and that flexibility. And he was great. He said, yep, go ahead. I understand that. Uh, so that's what I called him Farm Fridays. I got every Friday off and I worked on my homestead and I built up a farm business, which meant uh, we were selling. At first, we started with pastured poultry because it's an easy place to start. And I found some customers for pastured poultry. Uh, Connecticut allows you to do custom processing for people. It's one of those loopholes where if you sell the bird live, you can, you know, you know, butcher it for them. It's one of those deals. So I found some people willing to buy some live chickens. 
And uh, then I butchered them for them, and I gave them their birds. And uh, that was the spark. I thought, boy, look at this. This is, you know, a good idea. But it still was only one day a week, and I still had to deal with the long commutes, the, the tiredness at the end of the day, and not being on my homestead. And that's what got me to say, you know what? I got to do more than one day. I got to plan something different. So, look, I understand fully the uh, the torment of a long commute, as you may know from early oh, yeah. on in the, in the Survival <laughs> Podcast. And, you know, I'm like you. I always try to find ways to utilize that time. And when I was in sales, I would be on the road. Sometimes I'd be on a plane, and that's a little easier. But, I mean, I might be on the road in my car seven hours in a day. Yeah. Um, so, so what did you do maybe to take advantage of that time during that long commute, if anything? You know, uh, for me, Jack, I use that time. You use that time to create a podcast. I use that time just binging on as many podcasts as I could. And for me, I like I said, I never went to college. Uh, the career that I'm in now, which is internet marketing and digital business uh, kind of as a whole, um, I had not been trained in in high school at all. It wasn't a skill that I had. Um, but I at first I had this little spark where I realized I want to sell more of my farm products, but I don't know how. I don't know how to grow my farm business. So I started looking for podcasts. I had already learned to hunt deer from a podcast. There used to be a, a podcast called Bowcast. It might still be on. I don't know if it's still on. Um, but I had already – I told you back then that was the big eye-opener. Wow, I could learn anything and do anything if I really put myself to it. I learned how to shoot a bow from a podcast. I learned how to hunt deer from a podcast. Now that I had this, this idea of growing my business, I thought maybe I can learn about that from a podcast. So I found a couple different podcasts, and I used those next couple years. That was my college. That was my you know internship. Those three hours back and forth, you know, commuting. Uh, plus, I was running excavators all day long, running trucks and, and loaders. So literally, Jack, I could listen to about eight hours a day podcasts. And I just searched for good business podcasts and good farming podcasts and good, um, you know, entrepreneur podcasts. And I found a couple gems, which I'll, I'll share with you guys, you know, the people listening, because I, I want people to be able to do the same thing I did. Uh, the first one that I found that was really helpful was called Small Business, Big Marketing. And it's a, a podcast all about growing your business uh, with the help of, um, you know, marketing plants. Jack, you don't mind that I'm sharing other No, podcasts, absolutely you? not. Okay, great. Okay. So, what kind of dick would I be if I did? <laughs> <laughs> so Small Business, Big Marketing. This show, the, the host, Tim, is a great host, very fun to listen to. But he shares some great – a lot of his episodes are from people just like you and me who've started their own business, and they share their guerrilla tactics. And it's really geared towards small business, not big you know, corporate stuff. And that's what I needed, some good tips, guerrilla marketing from uh, you know, small guys. So I picked up that show. I listened to a ton of his podcasts. I got really inspired. Um, another area that actually from his show, I found another website called Copy Blogger. And they have turned into now their copy blogger and Rainmaker Digital. Uh, they have a lot of podcasts. They have a lot of blog articles, all kinds of stuff about digital business and content marketing. And then I stumbled upon your show as well, which was a perfect mix because you covered the homesteading and the farming stuff. 
Uh, but you also covered the business stuff. And honestly, of your shows, Jack, my favorite ones are the finance and the, and the uh, business. Uh, that's what really I was looking for at the time because I'd already dabbled in the farming stuff, but I really wanted to learn how to do the business side of things. So all these hours of commuting, I'm just tearing up these podcasts and just listening to things. I had a notepad I'd keep on me. I'd take notes like, okay, do this. When you get home, try this out. Check out this. And uh, and then I would go home and I would you know find this stuff. Copy Blogger had a, a, a online training program which was – like 70 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month or something. But I knew this is what I wanted to do, so I signed up for that. And, you know, looking back, here I had what I needed education-wise in my in my field, which now I'm a professional in. And instead of paying college tuition, I paid, you know, maybe a, 100 bucks. I think the monthly fee for the authority was like, like I said, maybe 70 bucks a month. And then I got a bundle package where I was getting other stuff with it too. So I got to take – I used that time to learn and you know apprentice in that field. I learned a lot about marketing online, a lot about marketing period. I learned a lot about running a business. Um, and meanwhile, I'm kind of filling in the holes because my parents ran a business there my whole life growing up. So I already had a basic kind of entrepreneur 101 with them. Now I had to fill these holes with all this stuff I'm learning about marketing online and digital. And it really helped me uh, feel like it was something I could do. It helped explain things, taught me things. And at the same time, I was also kind of researching by listening to all these podcasts. I had the feeling like I wanted to make one myself. So I was also seeing, all right, what do I like about different shows? What kind of show could I do? So that was my college. Use your commute for for college. Use your commute. I mean, if you're ready for it like you did, start your own business from the commute. But but for me, it was college. Well, let me tell you, um, people look back and they see a person, what they've done from the time they became visible, and they think, well, that's what just what they did. My story is very similar to yours. There weren't really a lot of podcasts back when I was in the sales world uh, for technology, but there were a lot of uh, books on tape. There were mm -hmm. a lot of uh, speakers that had uh, educational sales training products and things like that. And I did much the same thing. I got a lot more freaking repetition because <laughs> back in the day, if you wanted to get new content, you had to buy it. Yeah. And you might buy a CD set that was 20 hours of content, and that might be 100 bucks. Yeah. Um, and then you would damn well listen to that, you know, five, six, seven times. You'd probably put something in between it. But an awful lot of what I learned about being a good presenter wasn't just standing in front of a room of 300 people and trying to make something like testing a cable exciting, which is not easy to do, uh, but actually listening to people of, of all different walks of sales and persuasion and stuff like that. And even like kind of like I consider semi-hucksters like Zig Ziglar because mm -hmm. that's what was available. And I think when I, when, I, when I hear people like you today, I'm like, you know, if you're not doing this, oh, man. then you – and you have the time to be doing this – You are wasting so much, and you know that's why I'm I'm happy to hear that my show is part of that. I want it to be part, but I want people like when you say, "Is it okay to put other stuff up?" Well, yeah, because I mean, I only do an hour to two hours a day, and if you're having four or five hours a day of of time, and a lot of people that are even doing their own business, like you talked about when you're running an excavator or whatever, there's times when you're running an excavator, you gotta really 
pay attention to detail. But there's a lot of time in there where it's almost mindless work once you get good at it. So much. Yep. So you can you can like take parts of your day or people that are you know what was it, in office space collating or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> listening at a reasonable volume. You can listen to a podcast and, and all this content at a reasonable volume, right? And totally. I kind of had an epiphany there because this has always been part of what I've done. But what you advise people to do when they're trying to be successful in life or trying to get out of something that's making them unsuccessful, whether it's just bad habits or addiction, is be surrounded by people who are positive. Be surrounded by people that know the things you want to know, that are doing the things you want to do. Well, that's great. And it's a wonderful idea, but look around. It's not the yeah. easiest idea to execute. Maybe you can be part of a mastermind group that has breakfast one day a week or something like that. But really surrounding yourself by people that are outgoing and in the niche you want to be in and doing the things you want to do geographically is difficult. Today with social media, podcasting, YouTube, etc., you can actually immerse yourself with people like you want to be and be surrounded by them even though distance separates you. And, and that's why I keep saying, for all the stuff that we bitch about with our government and the difficulties today and student loan debt and all this other stuff, there has never been a time in the history of mankind where this type of opportunity has existed before. Yeah, absolutely. And and for so little money, Jack, I, I didn't have – I didn't want to go to college. But if I had, I don't know if I could have with the timing of the recession and everything – This was all free. Every other than what I paid for with that little extra author, you know, bonus uh, education that I got. But all the the best stuff that I got was all free. Yeah, I, I agree. I I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've told this story before, but I've even gotten things free that I've went back and paid for because I felt indebted. <laughs> so, um, God, I can't remember the guy's name. Was it Joel Calm? I think. Back in when I was first doing my first websites, and this is dawn of the internet, and Google came out with <laughs> AdSense, where you could actually monetize. I had all these little websites I was building to learn, and you could actually monetize them. And my click-through rates were horrible. They were like 1% or 2%, was, actually was considered good at the time. But you know, I was making a couple hundred bucks a month off of these advertisements on these little satellite websites I was building. And I heard about this thing called the AdSense Code or something like that by Joel Calm. And it might have been, I might be giving the wrong guy credit. It might have been Percy or something like that because there were two of them in different sides of it. And uh, I, I'm reading this long copy and the guy wanted $100 for this ebook. And I'm thinking, I've bought ebooks and been unhappy before, you know? And then they'll say, money back guarantee. And they'll, they'll make you fill out this form that proves you did everything they said to do, even though you knew it sucked. So they know you're not going to ask for your money back. So I'm like, I don't know about this. They start reading his testimonials. Well, the testimonials listed the websites of the people that were given the testimonials. So I'm like, I can reverse engineer this and see if it's if, if you're saying this works for you. Let me see what you're doing. So I went to the websites of the people listed in the testimonials and I saw what they were doing. And they basically removed the borders from the ads and lined up images with them and made the color scheme match the site. So it looked like content instead of ads. And I'm like, well, I don't need a book to do that. So I, I did this <laughs> to all my sites. And that month I did $2,200 in revenue for AdSense. Wow. I went and bought his book. Because I'm like, I'm an ass if I don't buy this guy's <laughs> book after after I was able to get that much out of it. And I really think it was Joel Com, uh, C-O-M-M. And I, I think he's still around out there. I don't know what he's doing now. But, uh, you know, it was like those long copy sales letter things that you see yeah. a million of. And I just yeah. didn't have any confidence. But yet it worked. And sometimes 
The difference between your success and failure is that little bitty thing. But, but we've all got to start somewhere. So I imagine you didn't go out and hire like some Madison Avenue firm to build a website for you. So you probably <laughs> taught yourself to do that. How did you teach yourself to build websites? You know, I, I spent a little time in high school uh, playing around with Dreamweaver, and that's a really complicated way to build a website. Okay. And I learned some code, and I got kind of frustrated. I thought, and leave it, <laughs> there you go, our public school system, our government school system at work there. Um, it seemed way too hard, so I just said forget about it. Well, now, you know, fast forward to the point where I have this business, this farm business, and I'm trying to sell pastured pork to my local area and these on-farm classes, but I did not want to go to a farmer's market. I have little kids. I want to be with more. Why am I going to take my Saturday, my only free day, and then sit at a market and, you know, try to spend 10 minutes with a guy to send him five, sell him five dollars worth of greens right and then come home with a cooler full of stuff you know yeah. like, i just didn't want to do that so i thought the internet that's my way i'm going to get my name out on the internet but i don't know how so again thanks to the help of copy blogger i learned a lot about building websites um and that rainmaker digital their stuff i learned a lot about building websites and everything I heard said WordPress, WordPress, WordPress. So I was like, let me give it a try. Everybody's doing WordPress. So I found WordPress and you have – I know you know this, Jack, but for the listeners, there's a WordPress.com site, which WordPress.com, they will host your sites for you. And then there's WordPress.org where you can get the software. I was afraid of that software and .org <laughs> and all that stuff. It's like, let me just let WordPress host it. This seems way easier. So I built my first website. It was my farm website. I got a WordPress.com hosted website. Yeah, it was a little confusing. I stumbled my way through. There were times I was Googling things, scratching my head. I paid for extra premiums because I couldn't figure out stuff, but I did it. I got the website up, and in a couple months' time of blogging about, you know, the best pastured pork in Connecticut, and I'm raising great pastured pork, all the keywords you need, you know, yeah. pastured pork. Great, best pastured pork, pigs, all those keywords in, in my blog. Suddenly, I was showing up on on Google, and there, Jack, there are much bigger farms in my town. My town is a big farming town, and in Connecticut, there's way bigger farms, way more produce, way more stuff, and I was outranking them with my little WordPress.com and my blog. And I was thinking, boy, if I can do this for me. I could probably do this for other people too, but I knew I had to learn a little bit more before I brought that to market. So I was like, you know what? Next time I build a website, I'm going to learn how to do it from scratch, the WordPress.org way. Get the software and just host it myself, own that space, and do it right. All this time, I'm kind of thinking of this idea. I Podcasts have made such a difference in my life. They, they made my day go by quicker at work. They taught me things that I didn't know how to do, and I'm thinking – I would love to start my own show. I love podcasts. I've I've done a lot of public speaking over, you know, growing up and I'm just thinking, you know what? I like this. I'm I'm a talker naturally. If you ask me a question, I'll ramble your ear off. Thinking I'd like to do a podcast. So I figured, you know what? I have to learn how to build a wordpress.org, you know, self-hosted site anyway. And I want to start this podcast. Maybe I'll build my own website for this. So my second website was for Homesteady, which is my podcast and website and all that other stuff. 
And again, I fumbled through it. I made mistakes. I bought some themes that were just kind of lousy and, but I did it and I got it up there and I found some better sources and I improved and I got things looking better. And then I AB tested some things and you know, you're just reiterating and reiterating until you start to see some traction. So now I have these two websites and they're both the, the one of them, honestly, my farm website is not a very pretty website. I built it. That was the first one, and I have never updated it. But the home study site looked pretty good. And I'm thinking, you know what? My, I, now my mind goes to my parents' business. And I'm still working with my dad at this time. It, this is still all on the side. And I know he's slowing down. You know, the, this recession hit hard. And I said to him, why don't we build a website? They actually had a website. But I said, why don't we work on your website? Why don't we improve it and get it on Google? And he said, you know how to do that? I, I said, yeah, look, I got my own stuff there, my own pastured pork. It's working. I'm getting customers who I've never met before are calling me on the phone. I said, you know, why don't you let me do this for, for our business, for, you know, his business? And he said, go for it. I'll pay you for it. See what you can do. So we went into their website and we changed a bunch of stuff and we blogged and keyworded and boom, it starts working. And they have a really, really good year. One of the best years since that whole recession hit. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm onto something here. This is a really good skill. Now, my father-in-law also is, I come from entrepreneurs on every side of this family. My father-in-law has a business. And at the time he was launching a new project, a new retail store, I said, who's building your website? Uh, what do I need a website for? Jack, they're all from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Right? right? Wow. Yeah, I so, got you. <laughs> you know, he's a welder for his father was a welder. He's a welder. He's like, what do I need a website for? I said, well, you know, let me build you one. It'll help people from around the rest of the state find out about this business. And uh, sure enough, but he says, OK, go for it. I'll pay you for it. So now I got two little side projects and it's for, you know, the friends and family thing. It's yeah. people who know you, but you're building that portfolio and by the end of that, those projects, now I knew how to build a beautiful website. I could prove to people that I could get them on Google um, and not only get them found, but, you know, get people to call them. My parents got a ton of business from, you know, what we did to the website. So that was the spark I needed. Now I had this skill and now I could market that skill. And that's where I started thinking, I got this skill. What else could I add to this? You know, I can't just build websites. Before we move on from there, I think if you want to be building websites, whether for yourself or for clients, and you're not using WordPress in 2017, you're wrong. Yeah. And I know there's some other great solutions out there, you know, Joomla and whatever, but the reality is, first of all, if you're going to deliver a site to a client, they need to be able to like at least do updates on their blog and stuff like that. Absolutely. And you can put together a screen capture video using their own site so it looks like for like in like 15 minutes time and give that to them with their site and then they are self-sufficient with posting blog updates and stuff like that. They come back to you when they need some kind of major thing. And then when they come back with a major thing like, you know, I would really like it if all of my users um, got an email update on, on the, uh, you know, uh, comments, uh, the website, uh, how much is that going to be? Well, my minimum billing rate to do work like that is, uh, is, is 30 bucks. Oh, okay. And then in five seconds, you install a plugin and send them an invoice. Exactly. And, and, and they are yep. free to learn how to do that if they want to. But if they're going to come to me and ask me to do it, then my time has value. And I know yep. which plugin is the best one for that and what have you. And there's almost no functionality that a customer would come to you and say, I want my site to do this. 
that there's not a plugin that either does it or there's a plugin that might even require some customization. But, you know, I've the AgriTree site that we have now is built on WordPress and a, pl a directory plugin. It's the same plugin system that runs the TSP business directory. Yep. What do you think it would have freaking cost to have someone hand code a site that did that? Oh, man. And I think I paid, because I wanted the, the licensed version where I could make as many of them as I want. I think I paid like 600 bucks for the, the plugins. And because I bought it that way, every time that vendor does an update, we get all the updates for free. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah, that one costs money, but, geez, most of the stuff on the site, like, you know, the re reply to comments and, and the, all this stuff that's on the sites, the Granddaddy Gun site, I mean, I built Granddaddy's Gun myself in a week. Mm -hmm. uh, with all and, and, like, the art is you know, done by a couple listeners and all, but the overall layout and all the functionality was built on Buddy Press. And I, I just think that when people tell me, well, you know, WordPress is buggy or WordPress is this, like, you don't, you're, you're, you're looking away from it because you don't want to see it. Uh, I've yeah. had this conversation multiple times with Stephen Harris with his one, two, three, four giant mile long freaking scrolling websites. Like, Do you understand that they make, because he's always selling his Amazon crap, right? That they make <laughs> plugins that basically build Amazon stores for you on a Word, WordPress hosted site. You could buy that once and convert all these sites to things where people could actually search for things, find things, etc. Oh, no, I, I pay this guy in the Philippines. All right, man, whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, I can't tell her anything. And I don't mean to put Steve down, but I mean, there's just so many people like that. They, they've locked out the concept of WordPress. They think of it as a blog software or whatever. And yeah, it does that, but it does so much else. Yeah. And the value of the plugins. And yes. then for, if you're a designer, then you just pick a theme that sort of works and you just start customizing it. And yep. I, I don't know anything. And I've been, I know I might be myopic. I've been using it for 12 years or something like that. But there's a reason I've been using it for 12 years. You know what, Jack? This is something too. If someone's listening right now and they're saying like, Oh, I don't know. This sounds a little too techy for me. I don't know anything about code. I don't know anything about HTML. I, I'm not a graphic designer. All that stuff that you would think when you think of building a website, you think of code and graphic design. All this, I'm awful at all that. I'll, all I do, this is all I do. And now this is like a major part of my business. I understand how to install it. I understand how to make it work. I Every time I just buy a premium theme, and I have a source, I'll share with the audience towards the end here, a source of premium themes, they're $75. Sure. I charge $2,000, $3,000 for a website, but I, I'm doing all the, the putting the pieces of the puzzle together. The premium theme, it costs me $75. Why would I want to learn code? I can use a premium theme. I know just enough code to change colors, change fonts. And maybe put something in a different place. And that's all the customization that 95% of your clients are going to want. And then if you need graphics, you find one good custom graphics guy. I use Nicodemus exactly. off our forum. I just sent him a thing today. He's charging me, I guess, a couple hundred bucks to redesign the header of the TSP website and then to make matching headers for because I just should have done this a long time ago for branding integrity. The Facebook page, the YouTube page, the Twitter page. And All I have to say is I want this parameters, and this is the color scheme I want you to use, and then use your artist, artistry, be free. And right. you know what, in, in his case, he knows, but you might tell him I need dimensions to be this, 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 and this. And then, boom, they do it. They set, You pay yeah. them, and you drop it in. 
Yep, that's it. The yep. hell with freaking learning coding. I <laughs> I know some coding. I know some base level PHP and some SQL database stuff and all. But I haven't. I, I probably don't anymore because I haven't used it in so long. I guess the only thing that is helpful is if you learn a little bit of basic HTML and you, if you know WordPress, sometimes it's just not freaking working. It, it, like you, you did something, it just won't work, and some weird piece of code's got in there. Being able to like switch to code view and, and going, oh, that needs to come out, that's helpful, but in the end you could just delete it and start over to that one little yeah. piece that's that's messing with you. Yep. So anyway, um, then you got, if you do a podcast and you're going to do YouTube, you got to learn how to edit audio and video. How'd you do that? We're going to go back to picking my nose in high school here. Okay. <laughs> uh, back in, actually back in middle school, we, uh, I was in a band. I learned to play the guitar and we wanted to record our music, but we couldn't, we're middle school kids. We couldn't afford to pay, you know, for studio time. So I had a nice computer that I, you know, used to play games and thinking this is a nice computer. I could probably record with this computer. Got some software. Went to the guitar shop, bought a few microphones, got some good advice, saved up my money that I was earning, you know, digging ditches with dad and got some good recording software, some good microphones. And just it was a hobby. Just learning how to use these programs was a hobby. Same with video. I was traveling uh, in high school. I was traveling a bunch and I wanted to take video back when I was a kid. I loved doing video. We had one of those giant VHS recorders that look like you're a news, you know, news cameraman. Uh, my parents had one growing up we'd play with, and so I just, when digital came around, I got a digital camera, learned how to upload and do some editing, and it was a hobby, so I had fun doing it, and the funny part was, in high school, I took a video class, I already knew more about video editing than everything they taught me in that class, the only reason I took the class is I wanted to have an hour to spend playing around with video editing, and I knew I had to take the base. <laughs> Again, great job of our government schools. I had to take the intro course before I could go advance. I couldn't tell them, look, I already know how to do this. I'll let me take the advanced course. Nope, got to go to the basic beginner. So I just sat there and edited circles around what you know the curriculum was. But I enjoyed it. I just had fun working with the software. Yeah, you had time, time to time yeah. to learn, and that's exactly once you know the basics, it's time on board that actually gets you better and gets you. The most important thing is faster. Because yeah. when you start, like, this is why I don't even want to learn graphics, because I've, I've learned enough from editing video. Audio's really, really fast because you're just moving stuff around. But when it comes to video, you're like, oh, I could put an effect in there. Oh, I could do this. You could spend easily two hours editing a 10-minute video. Easily. Mm -hmm. If you're easy. trying to get really sophisticated with it. And that's why, like, I think YouTube content producers... I love the guys that do the really high-level production value stuff, but, man, there's there's something to be said for volume of content. Pick the iPhone up. Stick your headset in it. It's a great microphone. Start pointing. And just don't move real fast and don't pan and tilt <laughs> real fast. And That's my that's my thing. I, every time I do, like, a video around the farm, I'm like, you're doing it again. You watch it like because you make people motion sick because it can't handle the frame rate for that. But otherwise, it's great quality video. And yeah. get it. I mean, of all things, get it up and get it out. Yep. So how does someone grow a side business with a family, a full-time job, and running a small farm? How do you pull that all together and you know, maybe talk a little bit about how you actually made the transition out? You know, I realized – so we've covered right now a couple of years of our time here on this homestead. It's probably been two, maybe three years 
And in that time, I've started the farm business. I'm selling product. The best part about that was I got some tax cuts. Um, uh, now I'm getting these side clients and doing this internet marketing work on the side. And I, uh, it's all still with only one, that one Friday off. So that Friday was becoming just full. I was waking up every day at 4 a.m. That alarm would go off. Me, me. I'd hop out of bed. <laughs> I'd like, you know, hobble myself to the bright light of the computer. I'd turn it on. I'd spend an hour working on the podcast because I had started the podcast by then. And, you know, I'm bleary eyed and just like half asleep, but I'm editing this podcast and getting that up. Now we're talking, it's like 5.15. I'd get dressed, you know, throw a quick bite or, you know, get a, grab a quick bite or something. Then I hobble outside and do the animal chores. And by 6.15, I'd already been up for two hours, working for two hours, jump in the car and com- start my commute into work. And then same thing at the end of the day. Family time has always been real important for us. I didn't want to be a dad who worked the whole time. I'd come home. We'd have family time. We'd have dinner. We'd you know, enjoy the family, put the kids to bed. And at maybe 9 o'clock when all the kids were to bed, it was back bleary-eyed to my computer till about 1 a.m. And I'd sleep from 1 to 4 and then back at it again the next day. No binge-watching Netflix. No, you know, I'm, I'm a younger guy, Jack. I grew up playing video games. I have fun playing video games. No video games. You got to lose the video games. Lose the binging on Netflix. Even my hobbies, which were way more fun to me at this point, fishing and hunting, I scaled them way back. I can't tell you how many bass spawns I missed the last couple of years because I just had to get my show out or I had to get this website done. So you, all that stuff suffered. My family didn't suffer except for I'll be totally honest. I was definitely a little bit cranky with all that sleep deprivation. I totally understand. <laughs> so looking back, my wife tells me that, yes, I was very cranky, much crankier than I am now. Unfortunately, I'm through the hard part. But you, I'm growing all this on the side, taking on this extra work, and I realized two different big, big things. First, I realized of, of the two, a farm business and then this internet marketing business, which was kind of starting, you know, starting up, I realized – I love homesteading and I love getting tax cuts for selling pork. I don't want to be a farmer. And I know, Jack, you're a lot like me. Like you like the, you guys have the ducks. You love that thing. But I, being a farmer is a different thing. I don't want to have a giant farm and work slaving away all day long. That's not for me the lifestyle I, I want. I like selling my pork. I love having pigs. But I realized it's a really hard way to make a living. And I have now I have four kids. I got four mouths to feed plus me and my wife. So I realized for one, you know what? The farm is not the business to go heavy on. I want to still have it for my tax cuts and I want to still have it because I like growing pigs and it's easy enough to grow 10 as it is to grow two for me because I got the infrastructure. Um, but I realized I got to not. I'm going to stop growing the farm business and I'm going to focus on this internet marketing business. So I realized I couldn't do it all. Now I'm going to focus on the internet marketing business. And then it got to the point where it was growing and growing. I was getting more and more just word of mouth clients saying, hey, I heard you did this person's website. Will you help me out? And uh, and time was shrinking. It was just getting to the point where I had less and less time to get that work done. I was making 
more money for those services than I was per hour at my construction job. Uh, and something had to change. Gotcha, man. So what finally made you do it and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this now. The, the hardest part, Jack, I probably would have started even sooner. But I said this before. My dad was a awesome boss. And he had been my whole life. This was going to be my business. The business is named after me. It's, it's my initials. And uh, my dad was a great boss. And I really enjoyed seeing him, you know, four days a week, working with him four days a week. And I could not picture telling him, Dad, I'm done. I want to go do my thing. I just couldn't do it. Um, so I just kept dealing with, you know, later nights and more side work on later hours. But he came to me. It was the end of a summer and we always slow down come fall. He said, listen, I got to lay somebody off this fall. I know you're doing this side work. I know it's working good for you. He said, you're the senior guy. I'm, you tell me who you want to be laid off and That's who will get laid off. It's you got this. I mean, this is going to be your business someday if you want it. But I know you have that. So you tell me what to do. And that was the the chance that I had to say, you know what? I could never have. I don't think I could have ever gone to dad and said, dad, I'm done. But the fact that he had to lay somebody off, the other guy was a great worker. That's his only his only skill was landscape and construction. He didn't have anything. He had mouths to feed, too. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know what? I can't take his job. When I got this, I could grow grow with. And eventually this could bring me a life where I could do more with my old man. I can go visit my dad and work with him or whatever in my free time. We could do stuff together on my farm. So I, I finally said, you know what, this is my chance, and I took the jump. I said, let me do, it. let me try this. Keep the other guy on. I'll, I'll get laid off. And that was in the fall. It, it was at the end. It was like August. He talked to me. September, I had a job. I finished up in October. Man, November and December, things started drying up, and it was looking like, oh boy, what did I do? Um, <laughs> By January, we were – I didn't – Jack, I didn't work a day all January. Or no, I'm sorry, February. I didn't work a day all February. But what I did during that time, I was like, I got nothing going on. I usually produced one episode of our podcast a month. I said I'm going to double down on the podcast for this month. So I did four episodes of the podcast, and uh, I got four episodes out. And by then, we had monetized the podcast, so I was starting to earn an income there. And – The next month, I landed a job through a previous client, word of mouth. I landed a job that was the whale. And this job now is has been the job that has made our lifestyle happen. It has um, it, it has just made everything work. So I have this one client that is just a it's a dream client. She's she's great to work with. Her project is so much fun. And and it's steady work every every month. I'm got work there, and I still have my other clients coming in. My other, you know, I'll get a quick website job or I'll get a one time video job. Uh, but now I have this big client where I was able to now now I'm fully self employed. From that day forward, I've been fully self employed with more clients all the time. But my steady work, I know I always have that, and that freed me up to build. Now that I was able to be self-employed, now I had more time to spend on my my podcast and eventually YouTube and all that other stuff. 
So that was it was a scary jump, and there was that one or two months where it just looked like, dang it, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I plowed driveways that winter to make a little extra money. I, I had a driveway route since I was 16. So I did some snow removal and scrounged a little extra work up to get through that tight time. But that was it. We made it through there, and now now it's been – our life is totally different. I think it's pretty clear that you think that a digital business is a great way for a homesteader to support their homesteading dreams. Can you talk a little bit about that? I learned real quick, Jack, you, you know, over those couple of years, farming was not going to earn that side income that I needed to have that time with my family. And our family was only growing. It was, we, we have a, our oldest is six and our youngest is six months. So we crammed them in in the last couple of years. I knew I needed to have a business that could, A, I needed to make a good income, right? I, need, I have a lot of mouths to feed. Um, and then we wanted to be here on this homestead. We wanted to spend time together. Homesteading is always, every project you're doing on your homestead is going to require a lot of physical hours, a lot of hours. And you know, Jack, emergencies pop up. You got a birth, you know, you got an animal that was bred and you're not sure when that's going to kick off. Uh, you know, maybe you get a, a pig escapes. I've had that happen before. And you don't want to be down, you know, in southern Connecticut two hours away when your wife calls you and says, hey, honey, the pigs are out. So starting a, a business, a digital business where you can work from home on your computer, you can plan your time the way you want it to be. Um Digital business, it's flexible. You could work like I did. I worked a lot of, at night. Lately, I've been working nights when the kids are asleep. And then during the day, we're taking time. We're going for walks. My kids are all homeschooled, so I'm spending more time with them. Uh, if you got a big project, you can cram it into a week. Just work a week solid, and then you can take a week afterward off and you know maybe get some big project on your homestead done. You're not commuting. You're saving the money and the gas. Uh, it, uh, having a digital business is such a nice way to support your homesteading life because it's buying you freedom. You're earning – you can earn a very nice living and one of the biggest things is you're not trading. If you do it right and this is all – you got to do it right. I don't trade my hours for money. I If I can avoid that – and Jack, I'll be honest. I think I learned that first from you. I remember a show a long time ago where you were talking about construction and you were saying that construction, when you're in the, giving your hours and your energy for money, you can never really grow your wealth because every hour you have to spend for that next dollar to come in. And I remember hearing that and thinking, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trading my hour of hard work for money. How can I ever get out of this cycle? I, I'll never be able to make any more. Now with my with my internet marketing business and with my podcast and uh, the income I get over there with the show, I never trade my my hours for work unless it's something very very like someone says, hey, I I need you know an hour of consulting or something. But sure. literally as many services as I can just put a figure to, like you mentioned, you want to plug in installed, it's fifty bucks. Sure. I don't care if it takes me an hour or two. I don't care if it takes me ten minutes. You're not paying me for my time. You're paying me for my knowledge and my expertise, 
that I have developed over these last few years and the fact that I'll do it right. <laughs> and I'll pick so, the right one. I've worked with it before. I know if it has any bugs that need to be worked out. Or exactly. I know which one fits your situation because there might yeah. be two or three good plugins that I'll do this, but you need to be able to utilize the output at the end of the day or what have you. And, and none of it's hard. And WordPress has made it really easy, but you know, there's a lot of things. And I think people sometimes like feel bad about charging for doing stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff on my farm that needs to be done that I know exactly how to do it. And if I had the time, I would go do it. But I'll hire a local handyman or something. And I know it's going to take him 30 minutes to do it. He's going to charge me 75 bucks. But you know what? It'll get done today. Yeah. And, and, and so if you have clients that think the right way and customers that think the right way, which is what you really want, like the one kind of dream client you're talking about, then they understand that. They understand full well that you can do it quickly. Well, that's the hell why I hired you. Because I'm not <laughs> exactly. going to spend the next half day dicking around trying to find this one thing that does this one thing I wanted to do and then you know install six of them and, th and, and turn them back off and, and my site's jacked up because I didn't – and it said, oh, here's the easy configuration guide. <laughs> I, you, you know, And that's, that's the reality. It's just, You think old school like – I remember in the 80s one time we got locked out of a vehicle and a locksmith came by and got us in there in about five seconds. Still charges 50 bucks, and this was in the yeah. 80s, because yeah. he knew how to do it. Yeah. You know, and if you don't want to pay somebody, then you learn how to do it. You have to, in everything in life, and no matter how, how good you get and how many things you learn how to do, there's still going to be stuff either you don't know how, you know how, but it's going to take you too long, or it, you could do it in a reasonable amount of time, but you don't have a reasonable amount of time to do it. You want to do something with your family, do something with your business. And as you go into business ownership, that becomes more and more true Because what you think to yourself is, okay, maybe while this guy works and charges me $75 an hour, the direct result of the work I do might be a wash. I might make $75 bucks off this. But since I'm putting that into a system that's going to leverage itself over time and have a, an ROI stretched out over 60 months or more, I can't afford to do that. Because it's worth a hell of a lot more than $75 bucks to me over its lifetime of, of, of operating. And that's how you get out of that dollars for time, you start yeah. putting things in place that, you know, somebody watches one of your YouTube videos five years from now. Okay, you made a quarter on your ads on it. Who cares? But, well, I did that work, you know, and that's how you get into like royalty income like a best-selling author without being a best-selling author. You, you, you have these content-driven or product uh, profit-sharing agreements or whatever you do to leverage your work. So it's not just I do the work, I get paid. It's I do the work, and then the work continues to pay. Yeah, that's it. So what different enterprises do you use to earn income from your computer? You sound like you followed another tenant that I and a lot of people teach, multiple income streams. Diversifying is huge, Jack. I just did a, a video on our YouTube channel addressing this topic of how I support you know, our homestead life, what my work is. And the whole point of the first video of the series that we're going to do uh, was about diversifying. Because the more you're diversified – The safer if something fails uh, and, and diversifying with different goals. So some of my projects earn me way more money today. Some of them are going to earn me way more money next year. Like you said, the work I did today. So the different ways I diversify, I have pr pretty much two different major areas. So I have the Internet marketing side of my business and then I have my actual digital Uh, business, and I'll explain the two. So the internet marketing, what I consider internet marketing is when I'm pretty much working for another client, I'm building websites for people, 
I'm helping them with their blog posts, their pictures. I'm creating videos for them. I'm creating podcasts for them. Um, I'm helping them with marketing strategy. So the best way to handle that side of the business, usually my clients start off with a website. They're a small business and they say, hey, I don't have a website. Now, they don't yet realize that they should also have maybe a video or two. Maybe they should start developing content. But it starts with the website. And of all the things I do, the website takes the most time for probably the least money earned. But I know, for me, websites are the foot in the door. And I still make good money off a website, but the website is my foot in the door. So I build somebody a website. That's a one-time transaction. Maybe in the future, a little bit of maintenance. Uh, But then I tell them as we're working together, hey, if you really want your website to work best for you, You need content. You need to keep putting up blog posts, maybe videos, maybe podcasts. That's websites are not a billboard that you put up on the the roadside and leave, you know, leave as is. Websites are like a magazine that you want people to keep reading and keep checking back on. And that's how they work best in Google. Well, that's what they want. They want to show up in Google. So they say, okay, well, I don't know how to do a blog. Well, okay, now I can sell that service or Oh, I'd love to have some videos, but I don't know how to do video. Now I can sell that service. I don't know how to podcast. So that is all internet marketing. It's essentially helping people share their stories online. And one of the biggest things, if anyone's thinking about getting into this business, that you have to remember, don't focus so much on the fact that you can like build a website because every day that's getting easier and easier to do with these other softwares. Align yourself as a strategist and a storyteller. A machine is never going to be able to tell a better story than me, but someday a machine will be able to build a website quicker than me. Probably already can. (laughs) So focus on helping people with the strategy and the telling of their story, and don't worry too much about the mediums. Just get yourself in the door with whatever those are. The second side of my my kind of digital lifestyle, digital business, um, is through what I earned through the show that we put out. So we put out a show. The show is called Homesteady. And it started as just a podcast sharing our life and you know our homestead adventures. And in the beginning, I started the podcast. From day one, I knew someday I want to monetize this. Not day one, but I knew right away. And so I built in right away with the show. I built in commercial spots. And uh, I planned – I didn't know how I was going to make money from it, but I just knew I was. So I treated it like a, like a business from day one. I didn't want people to be shocked when suddenly there was an ad on the show or something else. Uh, so on that side, I have created this, this, this you know, show. I earn money from a membership program. I earn money from classes that we put on once in a while. Uh, I earn money from partnering with sponsors. Uh, you know all this, Jack. This is very similar yeah. to what you do. Yeah. Um, I earn money from the YouTube views and the YouTube ads, and I earn money through Amazon affiliate sales. The big bit of advice that I would have for people here, um, and again, you're going to know this, Jack, but new people, if they're thinking about, hey, you know what? I'd love to start a show. Too many people think I'll start a show on YouTube or I'll start a blog or a podcast or whatever, and I'll use AdSense uh, and just make tons of money from that. All the views on YouTube, they're going to run commercials, and I'll just make a ton of money from that. It takes forever to make any kind of good money from the Google ads or the YouTube ads. That's going to take a way longer time. Uh, let, so, me, let me cut you off there just so that sure. people can get an understanding of what you mean by that. Sure. I am not. I don't consider myself a YouTuber. I put out YouTube videos, but I've been doing it a long time. Uh, eventually, I went back and monetized all my videos. 
I have over 30,000 YouTube subscribers. I put out a few videos a month at least. Uh, they are all monetized through the AdSense platform. I make between two and three hundred dollars a month on that. There you go. Okay, right? and you gotta let that like. So there are people. I know some people that like since all they do is YouTube, yeah. and they do a video every day, and they build up you know a hundred thousand subscribers, and when they put a video out, it gets ten thousand views like that, and they've built up this huge catalog, and they make thousands of dollars. Some I, I know a couple of people that make more than ten thousand dollars a month, but it, it if that is. If you want full-time income, then you need to be selling something besides exactly. ad space. Because exactly. look at it this way. So as a content producer, what you're saying to an advertiser is, my content's so valuable that if you bring your product or service into my content, it will be profitable for you. Then use it for yourself, yourself. right? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, please continue, but I just... You know, you nailed it, Jack. That was going to be my advice: is don't don't wait on AdSense. It is I. So just to give the listeners an idea, we launched the podcast going on. I believe it's going on three years now. Three years ago, um, we launched YouTube. Just really, although the tram channel was there kind of blank for a while, we really started doing stuff on YouTube last December. I decided, you know what, I want to branch out. I now had more time because I was self-employed. I thought, let's go into this next era. And I, I honestly, I made some real big mistakes at the beginning with our channel and how I did things. Uh, but you know, you learn, you learn as you go. Um, we have over one year's time, we've grown to 4,000 subscribers. We're just about to hit 4,000 subscribers. And that's, you know, way less, uh, than the people that I've interviewed and who are making even a nice side income from it. So it took me a year. I have a hundred and almost, I think, 60 videos. Two different times this year, I did a daily video. Right now, I'm doing pretty much a daily video, more like maybe four, three or four a week. Um, good quality videos shot on Canon DSLRs, edited in Premiere, good quality stuff that we're kicking out. And I'm making $3 a day from YouTube. If I had relied <laughs> on AdSense to pay for this whole show and this whole enterprise – I would I would have given up a way long time ago because you're just not going to make that much money until, like you said, you have thousands and thousands. You have 30,000 subscribers and yeah. you're getting a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. That's not enough to feed yeah. my kids. <laughs> yeah, and I, so, I just – I don't want to totally derail people that want, to, that want that to be an income stream because, like I said, I do know people that – but you're not making a video a week and making that kind of money. Right. You're making a video or two a day, and yep. then here's the one big thing. That you gotta think about when you're monetizing any third party platform. I do a lot with Amazon, I do stuff with YouTube, etc. They can change the rules and they exactly. do change the rules. Remember I talked about the ebook and I was making all of a sudden $2,000 yeah. a month on AdSense? Yeah. Okay, that three to four hundred bucks a month off YouTube includes what's left. Mm -hmm. of all those little satellite websites that are still sitting out there with AdSense on them because what what Google did, and it was a stroke of brilliance, even though it was kind of dirty, <laughs> is they went out with a huge payout in AdSense. They got all these content providers over you know a five-year period to throw that stuff on all these little sites, and then they just changed the payout. Yeah. And there was nothing you could do about it, and you'd built so many of these little satellite, you know, five-pagers and stuff like that. There was yeah. nothing that paid better. 
So that's what they did. They, they wait and they killed everybody. They killed the off publisher. They killed all the little inline ads. Everything they just like they just outlasted them, and then they just switched the payment and paid less. So people that were making, and I, I know some guys that were big time in the industry, you know, doing arbitrage and stuff like that, that were making a million dollars a year. They went from a million dollars a year to a hundred thousand dollars. Oh man! <laughs> and they had staffs at that kind of, you know, because uh, they were to do, you know, they were to make a million. They were spending maybe two hundred thousand with some staff and stuff doing it. Yeah. And they had to lay people off because yeah. they had no other mainstream uh, income stream. So go get it, but man, you got to have more. Diversify. Have you ever heard the term Jack digital sharecropping? No, but I like it. I love this term. This is I'll give full credit. I've mentioned Copyblogger before. I learned about it from them. Digital sharecropping. So if you if you want to start a show, right? Like like what we do and you want to or a blog or whatever it is, a vlog, even though you're going to build that audience on YouTube or i iTunes or wherever it is, launch everything from your self-hosted WordPress site first. Because Digital sharecropping. You know what a sharecropper is. A yep. farmer who's slaving away on somebody else's land, yep. trying to earn an income. And then one day the landowner says, hey, buddy, thanks for working so hard and making our soil. Boy, you've been organic. You made our soil so rich and it's really good. And now I have someone who wants to buy this place and I'm going to make way more money thanks to all your hard work. Yeah. So see you later. Bye-bye. Go find yourself a new farm. I'm selling this. And now you're, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. You, you spend all that time. So even if you're going to build a YouTube channel and you're going to put all your videos on YouTube, for me in the beginning, it was the podcast. The first thing I did was build the website. Then I started the podcast. Now most downloads comes from iTunes. That is the bulk of the downloads. Agreed. But every show is published on my site from my host and my podcast hosting uh, company. I own all that. And my first major form of income was a membership program. And I am a big believer in what you preach, Jack. Business is created when you create value for someone. I didn't want to do a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter or, hey, just give me money and donate. I wanted to create value. So we had this podcast and we had done already a – we do a very high production show. It's it's very different style from – um, uh, what I saw in the market already was there was shows like yours, which was the daily show. I didn't have enough. I, I couldn't do a daily show. I was new to this world. How could I talk for every day about this topic? I was a brand newbie. Um, and then there was the weekly show people out there who were sharing their weekly stuff. But there was a lot of those out there already, and I didn't want to do that. But I had the skills of a. I had done music editing, so I really knew how to do a lot with production. So we launched a monthly show. We did a very high production show. We do music and sound effects, and the the interview is very highly edited and, and kind of sculpted. And that once-a-month show, what I realized was I'm interviewing some people. I just interviewed John Puglano. Actually, I interviewed him back in the summer, and I just released that episode with John recently. That was a two-hour-long interview. It was a giant interview. Now, I'm not going to throw – my show is an hour long. That's what we do, and usually it's two interviews in that hour. So I had cut an hour and a half of great information from that show, and I realized, you know what? I'm just cutting this and throwing it away. This is what I can give my members. I need to give them value. The value will be the rest of the interview, which is really good info. It just didn't make the cut for the one-hour-long show. 
So now I built this membership program and Jack to this day, I've made more money off of membership. My, my number one fan saying we support you and we like what you do and we want more. Here's some money, more money off of memberships and then classes. We've done a few different classes. I did an online hunting class where we, you know, talk guys about hunting and how to, you know, do it the right way, how to butcher. I did a lot of video for that. Uh, we did an online how to start your own homestead business class because again, I'm a big believer in starting your own business. Um, so between classes and uh, memberships, I have made I have made a great side income with classes and memberships. If I was relying on AdSense, I would have made to this day on AdSense and uh, Amazon affiliate stuff. I would have made to this day three years in probably a hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So if someone's thinking about doing it, and from day one they want it to be a business, not just a hobby. Sure, bring it, bring it, create a great show, whether it's a show that, you know, whatever your style is and what you like to do, make a great show, good value. And then think about, like you always teach, what value, if you're going to make it a business, what value can you create and then sell from your own land? Don't be a digital sharecropper. Don't put your whole livelihood in the hands of YouTube or Google or Facebook or whoever else. Have your own things that people, because who's going to believe you more than your biggest fans, right? You, I'm sure, have seen this, Jack. Who's going to have faith in you and want to support you more than the people who love your show? Absolutely. So if they want to help you, give them help them, give them value, and they will help you do it. And if if you go about it that way and you produce a great show, then it can be – for me right now, it's not my primary business. For me, my primary business is my internet marketing. But I make a great side income off of my show. And like we, we talked about diversification, this coming up year – Guaranteed, I will make more money this year with my internet marketing business than my podcast and my show and all that. But in 10 years, when I look at the exponential growth, even though I don't charge for my hours with my internet marketing business, I still can only do so much work and make so much money. Correct. Unless I pull in employees and I don't want to do that. I don't want to have people in workman's comp and all the other stuff. So Unless I, I – I'm limited to what I can earn. Even though it's a lot more than I did in construction, I still can only make so much money on my di- internet marketing business. My show, the exponential growth, year one fi- of um, monetizing, I tracked all – every dime I made, I tracked. Year two, Jack, I more than doubled. Yep. If I can keep that exponential growth going, in 10 years, Homesteady will be my only business and I'll help my friends out with their internet marketing because I feel like it because it's a thing I like to do. You're creating a transitional business uh, model is, is what you're doing. And I, I want to give away one little tip there because you, you hit on something that's very important. If you'll notice, like when I put out a YouTube video, then I have it on YouTube and I have certain subscribers get notified. They go directly to YouTube. But when I actually like share it on Facebook and Twitter, the first thing I do is put it on the blog. And then I share the blog article with the video embedded. I don't send people in jet. Sometimes if I'm in a hurry and it's a little video, I'll do it. But in general, anything that's really based around the business goes to, 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 to Facebook. And I'm going to give away a trick here that if you don't know how to do what I'm saying, you can learn in about five minutes online how to do it because all you need is MS Paint. When I do that, I do the post for the blog and I embed the video. And then when you pull up that post, you'll see a screenshot of the video with a little play button on it. And I hit the, the command on a PC is uh, control print screen. And that takes a screenshot of the whole screen. 
And then I go into MS Paint, which anybody can figure out how to use, even me, <laughs> and I hit Control-V for paste, right? And then I cut with a little cut tool that's in MS Paste, just the, the video screen, Control-X. And then I go File, New, Then I drop that in there and I save that as an image and it looks like the video play screen. Nice. And then you post that to Facebook and I found a lot of power from building groups on Facebook and things like that and pages, they're like charging you to reach your own followers and all. You still want a page because yeah. it gives you something you can't do anywhere else. When you post the link to that article on your blog and it pulls up some random picture or something like that, if you have a page, you can add your own picture. You add the picture of that little video screen, and when you post that to Facebook, what people see is a video that looks like they can click play. Yeah. So when they click that little play arrow in the center of the screen, they go to your blog. Awesome. So they, and, and, I, I mean, that. I'm giving away a major, like, insider thing there, and you have to know all of those pieces that with Facebook you need the page for your business. Because even if you're going to focus on building a group, which if I had to do it again, that's what I would do. Group first. Group, I would, you still want to have a page, even if you don't promote it, and then you, you put it on the page, and then you share it to the group. Ah, nice. Or you share it to your personal page or whatever. That way you get that control of the associated graphic with the content, because that drives eyeballs on Facebook. Yep. And, but that always, like you said, it anchors back to your piece of digital real estate. And if it yes. doesn't anchor to your piece of digital real estate, You're doing what you're saying. You're sharecropping. You're busting your ass to build someone else's content, which you're doing anyway. Hosting yep. my traffic on YouTube is building YouTube. But here's the way I look at it. I get as much or more from them as they get from me. And I'm not yeah. just talking about the uh, the couple pennies from AdSense. What I mean <laughs> is, like, as you build attraction on YouTube, you start showing up when other people's videos are and all, and, and then you build a subscriber base. And unlike freaking Facebook, YouTube's not like – Hey, you've reached five of your subscribers. Give us 50 bucks and we'll let you know, reach. Right. It. Like, so YouTube doesn't do that. YouTube really seems like, cause it's Google has really partnered with its content producers. But remember what I told you they did with AdSense. So uh -huh. you still can't trust them. You got to anchor it to your real estate. That's, yeah. that's one of the best tips I've heard anybody give on this show. What you said there, anchor it to your own piece of real estate. You have to. Yeah. Don't digital share crop the, You have, even if your show, like my biggest traffic source is the podcast and the biggest audience there is on iTunes. But the most money I make is from the traffic that is coming back to my site where they are members and supporting us. And if, if Google changed, if Google exploded tomorrow, if there was a giant explosion and it disappeared off the face of the earth, I would lose so little income from, from that source there. It wouldn't even hurt. It would affect my business in other ways, but but the income I'm making from my show it wouldn't even hurt because the bulk of my I have built my digital farm on my digital land, which is my website, which I'm self-hosted, which uh, has my members who say we love what you're doing, keep doing it, we'll help you do it, and in return I give them the bonus stuff. Absolutely, man. So. What skills do you think somebody really needs to become proficient with to become a digital entrepreneur today? Number one most important thing to become any kind of entrepreneur, you need that drive. You need to be able to just push, 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 turn off Netflix, turn off the video games. 
just to give you an idea, when my, my son, uh, my last, I have two boys. My latest was this summer was born. And whenever we have a baby born, I usually binge something on Netflix. And because I'm up late with a newborn baby and, you know, trying to get him back to sleep and I can't get any work done with a baby crying in my hands. I binged on 24. I love that show. And Jack, I saw my, I saw my production plummet for those two months, given I had a newborn baby. But I was binging on 24. Even when the baby fell asleep, I was so hooked to 24. What happens next? I wasn't getting work done. I was watching Netflix. So get that entrepreneur drive. Turn off Netflix. Turn off whatever is distracting you. If you have to skip out on a few fishing seasons or hunt a little bit less for the couple years, just do it. And get that drive. Fuel it with those podcasts or videos or whatever you need to keep you going. Uh, you need to be computer savvy if you're going to be a digital entrepreneur. But you don't need to know how you're not. You don't have to be a hacker. You don't need to understand code. If you can figure out how to use basic programs, and more important than how what programs you already know, how are you at learning those programs? If you get a new program, if I if I threw you, I said, here's Adobe uh, Photoshop right now. Make me a picture. If you're the kind of person who's like, oh god, there's so many buttons here. I don't, and you get frustrated and you want to like throw your computer. Probably not a good business for you. If you're the kind of person who's like, oh, this is frustrating, hmm, let me find a YouTube video to see what this does. Oh, okay, I figured that out. Cool. I'll learn another one tomorrow. If you're that kind of person, then you can learn everything I've learned because I didn't know anything about code. I didn't know anything. I never went to college for this stuff. I just self-taught. If you aren't that kind of person – but you want to build a show and have you know passive income coming from that show, you can pay someone to help you set up all the basic fundamental stuff. Like you said, uh, someone like me will build your website, and I do exactly what you said, Jack. I'll build you a website. I'll take a screenshot video of how to use your website, your own website, just like you said, and I give that to my clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't have the tech skills but you want to start like a, a blog or a podcast or something and you can afford to pay someone to get you started, then you can keep going because honestly blogging on WordPress is as easy as using email. It's not any harder than that. Uh it's, it's the setting up of the website that takes the work. So have the either be computer savvy or pay someone who can get you started and then you can take it from there. And the biggest thing, and this is again back to just being an entrepreneur in general, you have to be able to get back up after being knocked down because you're going to hear guys like me and you who are, are doing it and who are saying, oh, it's great. But for every time it was great for me as I was getting started, I had flop launches. I had – Times where I lost lots of support. I have websites crash. I have angry customers too. I bet you've thrown a wireless mouse across the room at least once in your life. (laughs) I bet you have. Uh, uh, Maybe not a mouse, but something in this room, I'm sure. (laughs) I got the touchpad, so that's probably why not the mouse. I got you. (laughs) But, um,. So if you're the kind of person who can just take getting kicked and kicked and you're the kind of person who I feel bad when I get kicked. There are days where I have bad days and I just mope. But the next day, my wife is real good. She's always one to just like kind of give me a little jab, say, get back. Come on. Come on. And when I when I need a good – my wife, then I listen to a little TSP. I get my butt kicked over there. Get going. And then uh, if you're that kind of person who can just – all right, you got kicked. You felt bad. Now get over it and get back to work. You can totally do this. It's not hard. I never went to college. I was just a guy doing construction. You can do this. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think another thing to realize is a lot of times, especially if you even want to do what you're doing where you're taking clients and building sites, you don't know how to do everything necessary to build a site. What you know is what's possible. If yeah. you know what's possible, then you can outsource and outtask the pieces that you either don't have time to do or don't want to do or don't know how to do. But if you don't know what's possible, then you've got a problem. So it's yep. more about knowing what's – because it's also like you should know the basics of what it takes to do it, even if you don't know how to do it, if that makes sense. So I was a mechanic in the Army for three years. I grew up you know, with a shade tree mechanic uncle and a father that ran a service station for about 15 years. Do you think, dude, that I have ever been ripped off by a mechanic in my life? <laughs> no. Right? Because, so that's what I'm saying. Like, so in the digital world, it's really easy to go to a company and say, I need this piece of the job done. And they say, well, what's your totally. budget? And whatever number you give them, they will magically be able to do it for just that amount. <laughs> I'm serious, right? Totally. But if you know that, like, okay, this is about eight hours of work for a decent coder, and I, I don't want a Filipino or a, a Russian coder. I want an American-based coder. And this type of code is actually, let's say it's actually really advanced stuff. Let's say it's, you know, something that's like a Ruby on Rails thing or something that's going to be uh, $200 bucks an hour. You know about where that bid should come in. And when they say, well, that's going to be like 8500 bucks, you can go, nope. Mm -hmm. And when you say it like that, you know what they say? Well, what do you think it should be? And you say, well, I think that should be about $4,500. And they'll happen. And they'll be dead. Well, they'll be laughing or they'll be, you know, when you really hit them when there's like dead silence for like 10 seconds. <laughs> and if you ever in a negotiation say something and there's dead silence, don't open your freaking mouth. Whoever speaks first will lose. Right. Um, you when you get that dead silent response, you've hit on something where like, oh, crap, I got an educated person here. And you probably want to find another person anyway at that point. Right. Because, you, you, you know, somebody's not on a level with you. But when you're business negotiating and you ever get that, like you throw something out there, like when I negotiated for my my kid's car and, you know, the guy gave me a price and I said, that seems sort of good. <laughs> and it was actually a really great deal. And he just looked like the blood went out of his face, right? You know, and like I could see my wife sitting next to me and my kids sitting next to me on the other side, and both of them want to say something, and I'm just thinking, just keep your mouth shut. And I'm like, you know what? We're gonna go have lunch and talk about it. And boom, there comes a better offer, right? And like yeah. that's what people need to learn to do in business is learn to shut up at points. And but the other thing is learn to know what's possible and the basics of what it takes to get done. And part of that's a learning curve. You're going to learn it as you go. But, man, when you know that, then you can go out and you can find people that are legitimate in doing what you need done. And then when you find them, like, you wrap them in love. Like, a good, <laughs> a good graphics designer that can take care of you and come up with really cool stuff, man, then you, you give that person all the work you can because then you go to the top of the list You refer business to them from, from, you know, counterparts and stuff like that. Because that way, when you need something done and you got this client that's like breathing down your neck and you go, Hey, man, I need a logo done. They just say, I'll just put this other project on hold. I'll finish this one, put the rest of these on hold and do, do yours. You know, at least yeah. get me comps, dude. And we'll, we'll, you know, that way I can get this stuff like that is so important. If you're going to actually run a business instead of just be a, a new type of like a self-employed employee, that's what you don't want to be. Yes. Yep. And that, uh, I, I love. What you were talking about with um, you, knowing the basic idea because there are still projects where something comes up that I've never dealt with. Like I said, th this is stuff I've all self-taught. But 
you can learn two different ways, right? I could pay a college. I pay them to teach me stuff. Or I can have a client pay me to learn. And then while I'm getting paid, I take a day. I'm already getting paid. I can afford to take a whole day and, and track down online either a person or a website or whatever. They'll show me how to do it. Just that, that happens to me all the time. I'll take a new job on. They'll say, I want this, this, this. And you don't say to them, oh, okay, well, I don't know how to do any of that, but I'll figure it out. You tell yeah. them, no, great. All right, I can get all that done for you because yeah. the worst case scenario is I hire someone else. As a subcontractor, I'd say, hey, buddy, I need to help with this. You do that, and I'll do the rest. And I still deliver the perfect product to my client. And in the meantime, the best way to do it is say, hey, can I pay you now to teach me how to do this? So for my next client, I then can just do it myself. And that's the way. Now you're getting paid to learn. That's, that is the best way to build a business is when you're bringing in money and continuing to get better and better. That as long as the customer gets what they wanted in the end, there's there's no foul there for sure. Yeah, yeah. So where do you think someone should start if they want to do this? Like like what is the like the first couple steps out of the gate? Depending on what they're thinking about. So if someone says, "Hey, I like the digital markers, marketer side. I want to build a digital marketing business." Okay, that's one side, and then there's the other side of I want to start my own show and start my own online business or maybe an online store. So first off, I just like any business, try to ask yourself, you know, what do you like? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? And not that you have to do a passion business, but if you're passionate about it, you'll have that fuel, you'll have that fire. Fortunately for me, all my businesses have been started at passion. Not all of them have been great. The farm does not make that much money, so. Your passion isn't always the answer, but it helps if it works. Uh, ask yourself, what do you like to create media-wise? If you want to start a show, if you're uh, you know, a, a blacksmith and you're like, ah, I want to do a YouTube channel about blacksmithing, okay, that's great. Uh, do you like making video? Do you know how to make video? Or would you be better off doing a blog with some pictures? So think about the media you'd like to use. Uh, what social media do you enjoy? You don't have to chase every social media and use it up to its full potential. That'll waste more time than anything, social media. So think about what you like. Think about how you like what you want to make and then think about where you're going to share it and distribute it. Um, once you have some of those basics and you remember you can't do everything, uh, start learning. If you have to stay at your job right now, if you can't quit your job, most people can't, find the podcasts. Find the YouTube channels, find the blogs, and take advantage of your commutes and whatever time you have extra. If you're doing the dishes, if you're walking the dog, if you're exercising, use that time to learn and get educated in all the things you don't know because there's going to be things you re you don't even realize you don't know. And then once you've once you've got that, um, then it's you know then it's all right. What do you then you have to start sharing your own stuff and so. Uh, my res I mentioned these resources before, but uh, if you're building a website from scratch, if you want to get into uh, internet marketing, start with building your own website and, f and do WordPress. Just do WordPress. It has, like you said already, we already covered this, Jack. It has more plugins and solutions and, and added softwares than anything else out there, and it's great. So build your own website. Don't digital share crops. Start with your website. Work through that. Um, and then from there, you can grow. Once you've built that website of your own, you can you know, become an internet marketer and help people build their own websites. Uh, you can share your shows and your passion. You can set up online stores. Uh, but once you can build a website online, the beauty of the time that we live in right now is that 
You do not have to buy a storefront. You do not have to rent a storefront. You do not have to spend thousands. The minute you decide to start a business, you don't have to spend $5,000 a month you know, on rent for prime rent in town. You can build a website, you know, a couple bucks a month for hosting, a couple bucks a month for whatever premium upgrades you're using, and try it out. The worst thing that's going to happen is it's not going to do well, and you'll have essentially paid that. That's your 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 tuition, right? You're paying money on something to learn, and maybe at the end of the day you say, ah, it didn't work out. What did you spend? A couple hundred bucks on a website to learn you don't like it. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. The best thing is you're going to start building the side business, which then suddenly you realize I could be my full-time business, and that frees you up when you're self-employed. Now you can you can be home with your family. All my kids are homeschooled. I get to spend my, my schedule now, Jack. So I talked about how I used to wake up at four in the morning and stay up till you know one in the morning to get it done. I remember you talking about when you started your show, it was three a.m. to do your outline before yep. you got in the car. But that doesn't last long. No, it, it's a hard period of time and it, it's sacrifice, and you're going to be cranky. But now my schedule now, Jack. I work Monday regular hours. I work Tuesday regular hours. Wednesday morning, I spend with my family. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I take my dog to a, a hunting preserve where I'm working on training him to be a bird dog. Thursday, I work regular hours. Friday, I work on the homestead. Weekend, I do whatever I want. And I pretty much do that every week. And if I want to get a big project done, just this last fall, I put in a food plot for some deer behind my house. I took two weeks, and I just ran an excavator because I like running an excavator and I knocked down a bunch of trees on my property and I planted some, you know, food plot mix and I put in a pond so the deer would come and drink and eat. And, uh, I took two weeks off because you know what? I can juggle my clients around. They don't, I don't report to them daily. I don't tell them, I just tell them, Hey, by the end of the month, I'll have this done. So I was able to juggle some stuff around and take two weeks and do what I want. Uh, this next year, we announced on our show recently, this next year, me and my family are going to take a, a couple months off from the farm, and we're going to go on a cross-country road trip to homeschool the kids and, and visit other farms. And uh, we're going to share the other farms that we're visiting on YouTube and uh, do some interviews for the podcast. This is the freedom that you can have. So the best-case scenario is you become self-employed. You design your business smart to give you the freedom you want, work with the clients you want. And then, then it's up to you to do the re what you want to do with the rest of the time. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, what's the website they should check out? Our website is I am uh, the website is thisishomesteady.com. Uh, I should have back when I bought my URL, homesteady.com was way too much money to spend. So thisishomesteady.com. <laughs> I we were just like, well, we can't afford homesteady. How about this is homesteady? So thisishomesteady.com. Uh, we have a at least it's not homesteady1234.com. <laughs> yeah, that would be sad. Um, so this is homesteady.com. You can find if you just Google homesteady, where it will be number one, you'll find us. Uh, you can find we do every month we do one, like I said, highly edited podcast. We try to shoot for if you listen to like you know um, this American Life or Radio Lab or any of those like. NPR podcast. We shoot for a production similar to that, um, but it's all about homesteading. Uh, we share stories, our stories. We share other people's stories. We do interviews. We do some live interviews. 
Uh, so you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, you know, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then we're doing a, a vlog right now over on YouTube. So I'm sharing pretty much the frequency I'm doing right now is about three, four videos a week. And that's everything from what's going on on the farm and on the homestead. Uh, last two weeks ago, I, I got asked by somebody how what I do for work and how I pay for this. So we started a video series there on uh, how to make you know money to support, kind of like what we're talking about today. Uh, we share the other day my wife was breaking down a chicken, so we filmed that process, how to break down a chicken. Uh, so it's kind of like the YouTube channel is kind of a grab bag of everything we're doing on the homestead and, and a little bit about my business side of things. Um, and you can see also the podcast we put up on YouTube too. So search Homesteady, you'll find us one way or another. And, uh, and, um, you, everything can be found at the website. So if you want to find everything at once, head on over to thisishomesteady.com. Very cool, man. Well, I, I've really enjoyed being with you today on the air, Austin, man. This has been great. And uh, I'm sure you'll have new things coming up. So if you ever want to come back on and give us an update of where you're at, uh, I'm sure the audience would love to hear from you again, and you know the way. And the, I'll just throw this out there for people now. I hear from people all the time, man, I'd like to be on a show. What do you think about this? If if on the show you seek, the guest form is the destination you should be going to, right? Not 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 sending me your, your email about it. Get out and fill it. Because what did you do, Austin? I opened the guest form back up, and that was, what, a, a few weeks ago, and you filled it out, and then this magical person named Dorothy got in touch with you, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, gee, it's it's the third week of January, and you're on the show. Here we are. Right? Yeah, it wasn't I, like it was difficult, right? You just, nope. you, and the form, see, like people want to pitch it. Trust me, the guest form, it gives you the ability to pitch it. And then you could, you could be my, kind of my testimonial on this. You got a positive branding experience because you were able to shape the basic outline of the interview. And we didn't get on here and I started asking you all kinds of crap about pastured pork because you have a pastured pork operation. You got to talk about the subject matter you actually wanted to talk about. And that's yeah. why we do this, man. That's why, and you know, I would throw that, you're doing podcasts, like if you start taking guests or anybody out there that wants to start doing guests, if you look at my guest form, I mean, I'll tell you the genesis of it. I had um, Ron Hood, uh, my late and uh, very dear friend on the air, and we were close, so I didn't really worry about it much. Like, you know, it'll be Ron. And I realized, like, three steps into that interview, we were on a completely different <laughs> page as to what we were supposed to be talking about that day. And I yeah. worked through it, but I was like, that's never happening again. And uh, I'll throw a tool out I use. You might, you know, value this for your clients or yourself. I use a thing for my form building. I use a thing called Wufu, which is a paid service, but it is really powerful. And, is that uh, like WooCommerce, Jack? Same company? No, no, no. It's a totally different company. I'm pretty sure there was a company I used to use a white label of it to sell uh, when I was back in, in digital marketing as a profession. I did a white labeled email thing like a constant contact or something like that called Bronto, yeah. right? And Bronto had a white label version of their service, and they had a dinosaur on their thing. Wufu is W. Let me. I don't want to lie to anybody here. W o o f w u f w u f o o dot com. And uh, if you go to Wufu, you'll see a dinosaur that looks strikingly like that other dinosaur. So I think those two <laughs> companies or brands are related, and uh, has nothing to do with WooCommerce. Um, it's a standalone form builder. You can get the raw HTML of your forms, or you can get like Java snippets where when you change it on Wufu, it changes everywhere that you have it. You can redirect. You can set up notifications either by email or text or both. 
you can automatically send back to the person that filled out the form. You can redirect them to a, a product page. And I think I pay like 14 bucks a month for this for like oh, that's great. up to 50 different forms. I run all of my forms that I do when people sign up for workshops here and all. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same Bronto people. I don't even know if Bronto exists anymore. They might have went into this because they're, you know, there's so much competition in the autoresponder world. I use uh, AWeber and people yep. like I, you can use contact, uh, constant contact. You can use uh, the monkey one or whatever it is. I've been, using, yeah. I've been using AWeber for like 15 years now. And uh, in fact, I've been using AWeber so long. I have grandfathered pricing, so I'll never leave. Wow, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I pay like nineteen ninety nine for up to twenty thousand contacts, and then every ten thousand thereafter. So when they jacked the price up, they didn't they didn't change the old people. So they know us old farts will never go away now. Um, but you got to have good systems like that in place. And again, I'm just I really enjoyed this interview. I thought it would be interesting, but it went fantastic. You're obviously uh, very good at what you do, and I appreciate you being with us today, Austin. Jack, thanks so much for having me, man. I've listened to your show. You have inspired me when I was feeling low at times. Uh, I have learned so much. Like I said, we started all this. We were I'm I'm six years in, so this and hunting a little bit longer. Uh, but I've been a longtime listener. I'm an MSB member. I'll tell your listeners go be MSB members and uh, support what Jack's doing. And uh, thanks so much for the opportunity to be on the show. Really enjoyed it, Jack. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Austin. Thanks for being with us. All right, thank you. Told you it was a great interview. If you didn't gain knowledge in that that will help improve your financial life, uh, you don't want to or you want paying attention. I, I don't mean to beat up on people, but you heard Austin. Every once in a while, he feels like he needs a little bit of an ass kick, and then he tunes into TSP for it because you know what? It helps you succeed in life when somebody says you don't get to make excuses. Well, actually, you can. I'll give you a Jack quote today. You can make excuses or money, but not both. Well, that's the truth. If you want to be successful in entrepreneurship, whether it's digital media like we're talking about today or digital media is just a means by which you do some other business, you, you, you can't make excuses. You, you can't. Now, again, you can, but you're not going to make any money. People that make excuses in business are always the ones that have an excuse as to why their business is not succeeding. If your business is not succeeding and you'd like to figure out the reason that it's not succeeding, what you need to do is walk into your bathroom. There's probably a big reflective surface. Look in there. That's why your business is not succeeding. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're not trying. It means what you're doing is the wrong thing. And whether the whole thing is wrong or there's just pieces that are wrong, it's up to you to figure it out and change it. Because if you don't, no one else will. And remember, since socialism doesn't work, you wouldn't want anybody to try to do it for you because that would be the very definition. Somebody coming to help an entrepreneur by telling them what to do with his business. And Austin kind of did it for me, but I'll just quickly remind you, you can help support my business uh, by joining the MSB, and you'll get discounts that will pay for it. So all I'm going to say today, because today's show ran long, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. The other way you can support us is by uh, doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Uh, that has actually been a very good business unit for us. And I thank all of you that take a couple seconds when you're going to shop on Amazon and type in tspaz.com instead of amazon.com, which is one less letter, by the way. You end up there, you click a link, you go to Amazon, you buy your stuff. It costs you not another penny. It doesn't really cost you, but maybe two seconds of your time, and you help support us. We really appreciate that. Please keep doing it. Today's item of the day I won't talk a lot about because it was covered in yesterday's show, uh, but it is the uh, the 45-watt... The uh, LED grow light, 
it, it, uh, made by Kingbo. Again, I've been watching this market for a long time, and I've watched a bunch of different products come out and kind of this size. And this is the first one that comes from a manufacturer that's kind of been doing th other things for a while that have worked out really well with a good reputation. The product's been around about eight months now. Most of the reviews seem positive. There have been a few light failures and stuff like that, but it comes with a 12-month warranty and a 30-day, no-questions-asked, money-back uh, return policy. Uh, it is available on Amazon, and it's a, a square light, about 13 by 13, puts out full-spectrum UV. I've ordered four of them for a project I'll be building here for seed starting this year, and I'll be sharing that with you as I build that out. But it's it's a great light. And again, whether you want to grow plants or no matter what you want to do, if you just need stuff from Amazon, all you got to do is support us, guys, tspaz.com. Easy to remember, easy to get to, one less letter than Amazon to type in. If you put a shortcut on your uh, smartphone or what have you, you can help us out anytime uh, by going there before Uh, you uh, you do your shopping on Amazon. Really a small thing to ask. Next up, Song of the Day. Song of the Day is a song called Boys in Green, and it's not about the Irish. Well, I'm sure there were Irish involved, especially this time in the country. It's about the year 1933, and it's a guy named John McCrutchen. It's kind of a folksy folk song. even has a bit of an Irish folk uh, sound to it. I will be honest, not my first choice in music. Not at all. Um, really not. My first choice in music. Uh, really, really uh, patriotic in almost a blind patriotic way. And you might wonder why I am going to play it then. It was sent to me by a listener. And it also kind of sounds really positive about President Roosevelt, who is, by and large, not one of my favorite people. So why would I play a song that I'm really not into? Uh, that, that invokes a president that I'm really not into, that invokes a type of patriotism that I'm, I'm not into. Because I, I believe I am a patriot. Uh, I have a credible loyalty to the nation that is America, very little loyalty to the state that is America. You are my American brothers and sisters, most of you in this audience, and, and I would lay down my life to defend you. I, I will still keep the oath I took as a, as a member of our military, uh, but I don't want to serve in the military to do it anymore either. Okay, so if, I don't know if that makes sense to everybody, but some of you understand where I'm coming from. But know this: I I value the ideals that are the foundation of our of our nation, not our state. Uh, th this nation was founded almost as an anarchy. If you look at the way it was really founded and the ideals that it was it was founded over, certainly as a, as a libertarian stronghold, and we we've lost a lot of that. So why would I play this? Well, because I I, I believe in in pointing out. What people do that is good, even when the overriding things they've done, I disagree with. Even President Obama, I have agreed with some of his things that many of the people on the right have disagreed with, while I certainly don't endorse his presidency. So, again, I'll, I'll point out what I think was, was good or less bad, or even if I don't think it was a great idea, the good results that it had. The Boys in Green are the Civilian Conservation Corps, which was launched in 1933. For all the things I could say bad about President Roosevelt, being the second Roosevelt, FDR, the one thing I can say that I liked about him, well, here's two. I'll give you a, a, another thing. You heard about Eleanor Roosevelt today? Eleanor Roosevelt was worse than her husband. Eleanor Roosevelt prodded FDR to basically take steps to become a dictator. She wanted him to become a dictator of the United States. She thought that was a good idea. 
And FDR said, you know, I don't think that's really a good idea. I'll act like one, but I'm going to stick within the constitutional bounds, sort of, of the presidency. So that's, you know, at least he knew to say no to that. Um, maybe just political intelligence to say no. I don't know. But I, I'll give him that. And it is, you can look this up. Eleanor Roosevelt definitely wanted FDR to become dictator of the United States to combat all the other evil dictators and bring socialist utopia, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the kind of things she tried to bring to West Virginia that failed. We just didn't do enough of it yet, right? Okay, so that's that. But for the socialist that FDR was, the concept of paying people to do nothing disgusted him. That if we're going to give people money, they should do something to earn it. And if there's no jobs, then there's things that need to be done, and we'll have them do that, and we'll pay them to do that. And yeah, you might have to, you know, leave home and, and make a very low wage and send money back home, but until you can find something else, this is an option. And I would submit to you that even if you don't like that idea, if you could trade it for today's welfare system, would you? If we got rid of welfare, there is no welfare. What there is is there's places that you can go do things that are beneficial to the country for a wage. And if you do them, you get paid. And if you don't do them, you don't. And if you don't show up, you get fired. Because that's how CCC worked. Almost anybody that wanted it could get it, but you had to show up, you had to work your ass off, you had to do the work, and it wasn't easy. And they built parks and facilities and infrastructure all across this country. They put the swales that Jeff Lawton visits in one of his videos in the middle of our desert that are still green today. You know, could I could, could, could I, I could get behind it if we were going to build swales across all of the barren wasteland in our country, stop erosion, infiltrate water, and re-green the deserts that we've created. I could get. I mean, I think there's better ways to do it if we could get out of everybody's way and let them. But it's better than welfare. It's better than food stamps. So. While this is not my cup of tea, the spirit of it, that we should be rebuilding our nation instead of enabling poverty, I agree with. And that's what, not the whole New Deal, but what the CCC was all about. Rather than enabling poverty, we should require something of people in order that they be helped. So, in spite of the fact this is not my favorite song, I know I've said that a bunch of times, and some of you may love it, but I just don't want anybody to go, I can't believe you played that song. Hey, you know what? It is what it is. Music's subjective, and I'm sure I've played plenty of other songs that many of you don't like that I love. But if you didn't like Southern Cross yesterday, something's wrong with you. One of the greatest songs ever. And with that, here are the here's, uh, again, John McCutcheonson uh, with The Boys in Green. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. In 1933, off in Washington, D.C., Roosevelt created the CCC like nothing we'd ever seen. He called on fellers across the land to join together, lend a hand to learn a skill and take a stand. We were the boys in green. Hurrah for the love of the country, hurrah for the patriots' dream, with the brains on their backs, with the big cannon axe. Hurrah for the boys in green
When I was a lad of just 18, we stalked the rivers, the lakes and streams. Together fuel this nation's dreams. We were the boys in green. We built the houses, cleared the land, ran the fences, and we built the dams. Made quite a home for Uncle Sam. We were the boys in green. Hurrah for the love of the country! Hurrah for the patriots' dream! With the brains and the backs, with the pick and an axe. Hurrah for the boys in green! Oh, we built the bridges. Trails and roads, we dredge the lakes, we haul the loads. No more the beach or duty roads. We were the boys in green. We fought the fires, stemmed the floods, gathered seeds and planted woods that grew to be your neighborhoods. We were the boys in green. Hurrah for the love of the country! Hurrah for the patriots' dream! With the brains and the backs, with the pick and an axe. Hurrah for the boys in green! With a shovel, a trowel, hammer, and a spade, we built this country. Learned a trade. By God, it's quite a world we made. We were the boys in green. Now, as an old man, I stand perplexed in a world all paved and multiplexed, and wonder who is coming next. Where are the boys in green? Hurrah for the love of the country! Hurrah for the patriots' dream! With the brains and the backs, with the pick and an axe. Hurrah for the boys in green! Hurrah for the love of the country! Hurrah for the patriots' dream! With the brains on the backs, with the pick and an axe! Hurrah for the boys! Hurrah for the boys! Hurrah for the boys in green!